1: broadcasting live. Yes, I think my word for today is words. Jack Armstrong. Will the
2: universe survive? And Joe Getty. Yeah, smart guy. And now is Armstrong and Getty. It
3: is not Armstrong and Getty this morning. It's John Phillips on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles in the LA Daily News, OC Register, the Southern California newspaper group. In for the boys, they'll be back on Monday. Although I must admit, hearing that Tonight Show music and saying I'm guest hosting, it makes me feel like Joan Rivers. She was the guest host for so many years. I actually had the pleasure of sitting next to her on a plane one time. It was the worst turbulence i've ever experienced on a plane and we hung on to each other through the entire state of nevada because we thought we were goners but then everything worked out okay cocktail service resumed and we were happy as clams positive sean how are you doing well my friend now last we chatted was last year correct and you were introduced to me as positive sean yes now after all of the horror of 2020 and all of the traumatization and the disasters and everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. Are you still positive, Sean, or have you transitioned to Xanax, Sean?
4: No, uh, the the brand remains strong. I, uh, I I still am positive, and part of that is just because of my my own temperament. I'm kind of built for shelter in place. Yeah. Um uh, So so yes, uh, I've uh, I, I've maintained my uh my my branding and my positive outlook throughout the uh, throughout the pandemic so far. That, sir, is a commitment to
3: positivity. Because every other person I know, they, you get these women on an airplane. They're sitting down next to you. They throw their purse on the seat next to you to put their stuff in the overhead bin. And all these pill bottles come out. It looks like Graceland. Everyone's been traumatized because of 2020 except you, sir. So give yourself a pat on the back there.
4: <laughs> Will do. <laughs> now...
3: One of the things that we have to look forward to in 2021, at least for me, is the potential recall of California warden Gavin Newsom. I, for one, couldn't be happier that the effort to recall warden Newsom has now reached, what is it? Was it 1.3 or 1.4? Let me look at my numbers. 1.4 million signatures have been collected by the organizers of the recall movement. We're gonna speak to one of those organizers later on in the program and get an update on just exactly where they are. But they're getting dangerously close to the number that they need for this election to qualify. And let me tell you, as someone who's lived through many recalls in his lifetime, actually, I've lived through more than most. I drive a 10-year-old Ford Recalls are just a way of life for me. But we've had recalls of politicians in California before. I've seen this movie before. I know how these things operate. And my advice to you is this. Buckle up, kids, because the circus is coming to town. You need, what, four grand and 50 signatures to qualify for the ballot? Last time we had... Over a hundred candidates who qualified for the ballot? Well, this time around, the Internet is more prolific than it was when Gray Davis was in office, and there's way more reality TV. So I expect to see some real candidates on the ballot, but also expect to see every other reality star on Bravo. All the porn stars, everyone on OnlyFans, and just anyone who's bored who's got an extra four grand laying around. This thing is going to be real, and it's going to generate not just national attention, but international attention, just like the last one did. And part of the reason that the last one generated all the attention was because there was a movie star who put his name on the ballot, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who started out strong and then blew up on takeoff after he lost his first statewide election not he himself but he had some initiatives that were put on the ballot he lost and then went south and the rest is history but this time around it's a little different we may get a big time celebrity putting their name on the ballot for governor although i think that we'll have credible candidates for sure i hope one of them is Richard Grinnell, the former ambassador to Germany and director of national intelligence, he hasn't made up his mind yet, but other credible candidates are already throwing their hat in the ring, including the former mayor of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner, and John Cox, who was the Republican nominee the last time around. But historically speaking, when you look at these elections, if you are the individual who is being recalled or there's an attempt to recall you, There is a very clear path to defeating these things, and there's another path that puts you in the danger zone. The way to defeat a recall is to launch an aggressive campaign against it while the organizers are collecting signatures. You want to make it as hard as humanly possible for the little old lady sitting at card tables outside of Walmart to get people to sign the petition. The harder you make it for them to generate those signatures, the harder you make it for the recall to actually happen. Warden Newsom has decided to go in the opposite direction. Warden Newsom is in complete denial that a recall effort is even taking place. Whenever he's asked about it at the press conferences, he just ignores it, moves on, answers the question he wishes he was asked, and pretends like it's not happening. That is a real effective way of making sure the recall qualifies for the ballot. I've lived through three recalls that I've paid attention to in the state of California, and I would note that all of them are successful, were successful. The recall of Gray Davis as governor of California, easily the most famous recall election in California's history. But there was also a recall of Paul Horcher, who was an assemblyman from Southern California, who switched his vote for speaker for Willie Brown, allowing Willie Brown to maintain his speakership over the Republicans. And then there was a recall election of Josh Newman, who was a state senator from Fullerton, who voted for the gas tax and upset his constituents, so they booted him from office. The framing of a recall election is inherently always going to be against the person who's being recalled. Voters look at the ballot, and they are essentially asked the question, are this individual's sins enough to boot them from office? Have they been bad enough to lose their job? Well, if that's the framing, it's all negative framing. So if you're not a partisan or a political animal, as most people, especially in the state of California, are, you look at that, and the assumption is that they have sinned. And the question is, do they deserve to lose their job over it? And that leads to a bias that says, yeah, they probably do. And in all three cases that I decided, all of the politicians were recalled. Now, there was one recall that I paid attention to that was unsuccessful. And it was unsuccessful because this particular individual fought the recall as the signatures were being gathered as opposed to being in complete denial as Gordon Newsom is about this effort. You have to go all the way back to the 1990s in the state of California to Orange County to get this example. And it was an effort to recall a judge her name was Nancy Webenstock. And the reason that people were upset with Nancy Wiebenstock was because she was the judge that granted custody of Sydney and Justin Simpson to O.J. Simpson after he was acquitted of murdering Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson. The judge was faced with the reality that the law said that the parent deserves custody of the kid unless they've committed some sort of horrible act. Well, according to the state of California, O.J.'s innocent. O.J. didn't kill them. That's what the jury said. Now, no one believes it, and that's why there was so much anger that she gave the custody of these children to O.J. Simpson. But that's what the law said that she had to do. So that's what she did. And people were angry. Oh, my God, people were angry. And there were efforts to collect signatures to remove this woman from office. And she understood that O.J. Simpson was so hated in the state of California, if she stood back and let this happen and a recall election was called and her name was on the ballot and she's the lady that gave O.J. Simpson two kids after he just murdered their mother, allegedly, she was going to lose her job. So what Judge Wiebenstock did that was very smart was she took the recall effort very seriously from moment one. And she hired political consultants to start mounting a campaign to defend herself against the recall effort as signatures were being gathered. So there was a table outside of Walmart collecting signatures. There was a table outside of that same Walmart saying, here's why you shouldn't sign the petition. She was very aggressive, and she made her case to voters. It ultimately worked out for her. She prevented the recall organizers from collecting the signatures they needed to call an election, and she survived. But she only survived because she took it seriously from the very beginning. That is exactly the opposite of what Warden Newsom is doing right now in the state of California. He's pretending like it's not happening and assuming they're not going to get the signatures because California is such a big state, they need to gather a ton of them. And then the French laundry happened where he got caught violating his own edicts. And then he screwed up the vaccine distribution situation. And then he continued to shut things down and panicked and opened up the state of California for outdoor dining at restaurants and hair salons and nail salons with specific restrictions. But there's been zero clarity with any of his arbitrary and capricious decisions that have been so damaging to California businesses, California livelihood, and, yes, public health, that people are angry, the natives are restless, and the natives are picking up signatures at a rapid pace. And every time he goes out and gets caught at the French laundry or screws up the vaccine distribution system or makes political decisions and falsely says he's following the science – It makes it that much easier for the people at the card tables outside the Walmart to get more signatures. They have until mid-March to get enough signatures to call a recall election. And instead of making their lives harder, Warden Newsom is making their lives easier. And that is going to put him in dangerous, dangerous, dangerous territory. Because if this election goes to the ballot, he's going to have all of the same negative framing surrounding him that all of these prior politicians had surrounding themselves when they were on the ballot. And the more he continues to screw up, the more steam the recall election gets. Yes, California is a state where Democrats dominate state politics. Yes, there are more registered Democrats than Republicans. Yes, it's very difficult for Republicans to win statewide elections. But a funny thing happens sometimes during recall elections. Recall elections can be like hurricanes. Hurricanes start small, they get bigger, and they create their own weather systems. This thing started small, it's getting bigger, and... It's creating its own weather system if it qualifies for the ballot, creating an atypical election with an atypical cast of characters running and an atypical electorate, and that all means trouble for Warden Newsom. It's John Phillips, in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up soon. Stick with us.
1: The Armstrong and
3: Getty Show. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. The boys will be back on Monday. Now, Positive Sean, at your house, are you one of these types that likes to cook dinner? You enjoy the process of purchasing the food, preparing the food, maybe pouring a nice glass of wine or a spirit? Putting together the meal and enjoying a nice home cooked meal in your very own house, or do you like to be the toast of the town and go out to local restaurants?
4: Uh, I I am very much a fan of happy hours, uh, but I have recently gotten an air fryer, so I've been recreating happy hours in my own uh, in my own place uh, as of late. I've been uh, as a, you know I'm I'm making appetizer samplers uh, all day every day. So um, going to your house is like going to Costco at 11 a.m. on a Sunday oh, on any given oh, day. Yeah, yeah, you need you need mozzarella sticks, potato skins, some uh, some some chicken tenders. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. French fries under 10 minutes. You're you're, you're set. Oh, I want to go to your house. <laughs> now I cannot
3: cook because I have a phobia of touching raw meat. So if I cook at home, it's just salad or gross things that you don't want to put in your mouth. So I love to go out to restaurants. So this shutdown has been very, very, very hard on people like me. And I'll tell you this, I've learned certain things since the state has been shut down. But one of the first things that I learned when restaurants were open for takeout but not dining indoors or outdoors until very recently is you learn What restaurants you like for the food and what restaurants you like for the ambiance real quick. There are certain restaurants I enjoy going to because it's a fun environment. You can have a couple of cocktails at the bar, see who's in town, talk to your friends, that sort of thing. But the food is essentially mediocre cafeteria food that you put up with because you just like to hang out there. And there are other restaurants that have excellent food, but you go inside and it's like eating in a catacomb. (laughs) So you don't go there that often because it's just not a fun experience. But those are the places I've been doing the takeout from. If I want to eat bad cafeteria food at home, I can do that myself. I don't need to go to those restaurants whose ambiance I like. So I've been eating a ton of Italian food, essentially. Uh, That's been my go-to. So anyway, if you see me on the street, I look a whole lot fatter than I used to be. All right. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. We've got more coming up. Don't go anywhere.
4: Armstrong and Getty getting an early start on their Super Bowl preparations. Positive Sean here hanging out with the uh, the one and only John Phillips. Well, thank you so much for
3: allowing me to sit in for Armstrong and Getty. You know, Super Bowl Sunday is right around the corner. And I know that it takes a long time. If you fill up the bathtub with guacamole, you better start now. Because that requires a lot of avocados to cut.
4: And you're hand-spooning eat... them out, too? I mean, yeah. Oh,
3: what... <laughs> Absolutely. Can't do it any other way. And I don't even use the onions in my guacamole. I like shallots. You ever put that in guacamole instead oh, of onions? That's a classy move right there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Nothing but classy decisions at my house when I fill the bathtub with guacamole on Super Bowl Sunday. All right. It's John Phillips on loan from Talk Radio 790K ABC in for Armstrong and Getty. One of the predictions I made after the November election was that the news media would continue to talk about President Trump as if he never left office and Joe Biden would be effectively irrelevant to what people were discussing in the country. As it turns out, it looks like I'm right. You look at any of the newspapers today and it's still Trump, 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 Trump. And if you want news on Joe Biden, you better have time. Joe Biden might as well be in the Witness Protection Program right now. In fact, Sammy the Bull Gravano is in the Witness Protection Program, and I think I see him more on TV than I do of Joe Biden. Anyway, joining us to talk about this is the author of Privileged Victims, How America's Culture Fascists Hijacked the Country and Elevated Its Worst People, columnist at the Washington Examiner, Eddie Scary. Eddie, welcome.
5: Hey, John, good to be with you.
3: It really is true that it feels like President Trump never left office because you turn the TV on, you look at the newspapers, he's all they're talking about, and it's like Joe Biden doesn't exist.
5: Yeah. And, you know, with Trump, it's just an amplified version of what has always been has always been the case. I mean, I remember back during the Obama years, the story was always, always, always Republicans. It was the Tea Party. You never really talked about Obama. You never talked about and anything that Democrats were doing. It's always Republican it, or it's or it's Fox News. If you're reading the media reporting, it's that now they're talking about Fox News having an identity crisis. It's as if <laughs> you're right, as if there's nothing else going on other than Trump at this point and I just wrote about this at the Washington Examiner this week, is Republicans make that very, very easy as well for the media to do. Um, you have Mitch McConnell coming out and weighing in on something that has nothing to do with the Senate. He comes out and talks about Liz Cheney and Marjorie Taylor Greene. What does that have to do with the Senate? They're in the House, not even his chamber, and he's coming out weighing in on it. Um, and, of course, the media love that. They love the infighting. Um, they, would, they they They. They love talking about Republicans. They love scrutinizing Republicans. They can never put the light on Democrats. They don't care about Joe Biden. Um, And, and yeah, you're right. I think with Trump, it's just only um, what we've seen before, but ten times that.
3: (laughs) You know, it's funny, because you turn CNN on or MSNBC, it's wall-to-wall coverage of Marjorie Taylor Greene, the first-term congresswoman from Georgia who has spent much of her career being a conspiracy theorist, was able to get elected in a very crowded field in a very safe district, and now that's all we talk about morning, noon, and night, and they say the right's obsessed with AOC. Okay. But I've always found it interesting to see what news channel a politician keeps on in their office when they're there. And I have a good friend who worked in in Washington, D.C. for a long time who told me, be very, be very scared of John Boehner, because every time I go into his office, MSNBC is on in the background. What news channel do you think these people, these Republican electeds, have on in the background? What are they watching all day in their office?
5: My experience has been um, with, with Republicans, they actually do, it's kind of, I guess it's, it's, it's expected that they do watch Fox Um, That tends to be the case even uh, with conservative journalists that I know. I actually do the opposite. I watch nothing but (laughs) CNN and MSNBC all day, which is why I'm halfway out of my mind. Um, But no, I think that that, that that tends to be true. (laughs)
3: <laughs> How would you grade the performance of Jen Psaki so far as press secretary? Now, Jen and I used to work together over at CNN, and we'd, we'd debate each other all the time. She was always very pleasant, always fun to work with. But now, going into this role, you're on TV every day, and you're answering all the tough questions, although the questions were much tougher for Kaylee McEnany. I want to place a clip for you of what she had to say when asked about the vaccine, because it's been sold to us that if everyone takes the vaccine, that we can go back to life as normal and we don't have to stop living our lives. We can go back to doing things like seeing concerts in person, going to Major League Baseball games, getting on cruise ships. And she threw a whole lot of cold water on that. Let's listen.
0: It's not just a vaccine. is obviously an incredible medical breakthrough, um, and we want every American to have one. But even after you're vaccinated, social distancing, wearing masks are going to be essential, and we'll, we'll need to continue communicating
5: about that through health and medical experts.
3: So even after we take the vaccine, we still have to be on house arrest.
5: Right. And I think she's she's telling the truth in terms of that's how Democrats see things. I also just wrote about this at the Washington Examiner. The, the social just uh, the social distance, distancing stuff, the masks, all of that is here to stay. So long as these people have a say in it, um, they really believe in this stuff. They think it needs to be this way. Um, and I, I actually disagree with you in, in terms of what when they said. The vaccine, um, yes, they're encouraging everyone to get the vaccine, and they say this is going to take care of the virus. I don't hear them ever say, however, that this is our ticket back to normal. I often see them stop very, very short of ever saying that. Um, it's usually uh, we can get back to some degree of normal. I think Anthony Fauci said, you know, the sainted Dr. Fauci, he said once we get 85% of the of the population inoculated then we can get back to some degree of normalcy (laughs) i never hear them say uh ever we will go back to the way things were things will be good again everything's going to be fine no it's actually um i I think very troubling that they never really do say that but there you go do you have you have uh actually coming out and saying it and i think uh i hope people are paying attention
3: if that's their position that is the death blow for bars for amusement parks for cruise ships, for professional sports. And you look at these businesses, you look at these brands, people love Mickey Mouse, people love Disneyland, people love their local Major League Baseball franchise. They love their cruise ship company. And these companies have largely been working on the inside to try to speed things up and to go back to being open, but they haven't launched public campaigns against these politicians who want to keep them shut down forever. At what point does the Walt Disney Company and Royal Caribbean and Carnival Cruise Lines and Major League Baseball say, enough is enough. If these people get what they want, we're all going under. We're going to war with you, and we're turning our customers against you, and we want to be open for business.
5: I, I think that's right, and that's what they're going to have to do if they want to stay in business. Um, it's a very difficult thing for them to do as as a business, especially as very, very big businesses, because the Democrat answer to that is, oh, you want people to die. You're putting profit over people's lives. That's what they're going to say. Um, but no, th- this whole thing has really exposed the ignorance. Uh, and if it 's not in ignorance it 's complete indifference to the way businesses work you know i 'm no i 'm no economic genius, but I understand when they say we 're going to send out uh, fourteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollar checks, whatever it is for stimulus money well the only way to stimulate things is if i can buy the things i want to buy i want to go to a restaurant i would like to go to a bar i would like to go to to the movies i'd like to go to a concert any number of these things and i can't do it i can't do it or it's been made so miserable that i don't want to do it to have to go into a restaurant or to go into a bar and you can only stay within you know your two foot radius that's not fun to go to a bar so i don't want to go and do that um but you you, an economy that is manually locked down in in our biggest cities on the coast and in other places, um, that you cannot stimulate that. You can give me all the money in the world, and I can buy things, I guess, on Amazon, but that does not stimulate the economy.
3: There's a hesitancy for corporate America and for big-time athletes and some stars to get involved in politics because when you get involved in politics, half the country is going to end up hating the decision that you make. And what was the the famous line that Michael Jordan said when – when he was asked to get involved in the Jesse Helms-Harvey Gantt race, he said, no, I'm not going to do it because Republicans buy tennis shoes too. But over the summer, we saw big-time corporations like the NBA, like Nike, get heavily involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, and they picked a side, and it, they were unambiguous about it. They were perfectly happy to dive into the political fight head first. This is a political fight. That's not about doing something that is, you know, ideological or altruistic or however it is that you want to describe it. This is a political fight that will determine whether or not these companies sink or swim. Yet they're now showing hesitancy to get involved. At what point do they have to say, all right, this is going to get dirty, but we're going to have to do it if we're going to come back to our shareholders with anything left?
5: You know that was the point of uh, the very short book I wrote just ahead of the election. Grow up and vote for Trump because it is it is a very difficult decision to make. It's one that you may not like, uh, you may not want to make. Um, and I think the book stands true even with Trump out of the equation. There, this is um, this is not just a matter of, of people's health. Of course, it's, it's Of course, that is an issue here, but it is a, a matter of our businesses. Uh, like you said, whether you sink or swim, whether you go under or not, um, they, and the only way to come out of this is you've got to say, all right, we're, we're open. Ron we're, DeSantis is doing this in Florida. Things look relatively really good there, especially when you compare into to places like California or um, New York. He has things open. Um, they're taking care of the people that need to be taken care of. But otherwise, he is equally saying and rightfully saying that the economy is not an afterthought here. It is just as important as people's health health and our businesses were not letting them all go under and, and they seem to appreciate it down there I mean, they're lucky to have someone like Ron DeSantis on their side who doesn't care that the media calls him um you know dr death uh that th- th- he says he doesn't care about people dying he, does, he, he doesn't care what the media have to say about him and they're lucky they have someone like him but that's the thing you've got to you have to elect people and pe- put people in positions of power who make these who make these tough calls and make the right calls
2: how much of
3: the problem is the fact that People in the news media can work remotely, whether it's television, radio. I'm sitting in my living room in Palm Springs right now. You're probably at your at your house in, in D.C. We have the ability to be able to do our job wherever it is that we have an Internet connection and a laptop. But a lot of people don't have that, that ability. If you work at that theme park or that movie theater or you're a bartender and they shut those things down, you can't go to work. But all of the people who are disseminating information have seen no real change in their life, certainly no real change in their bank account. Life has gone on as normal for them. So their attitude is, what's the big deal? Why, why are you so callous that you don't care if you're risking people's health by opening the economy back up? Don't be selfish.
5: Oh yes, and I've heard, i heard that over and over and over again. You know, I'm a single person. I live alone. Uh, for for to ask me to shut myself inside my house and not see anybody for months and months on end. They do that to people in prison. They put them in cells by them by themselves as punishment. I'm sorry, I'm not in prison. I'm not going to live that way. And yes, I think again, it exposes the ignorance of not only just Democrats but liberals in the media who you know would tell me or say to me, why are you why are you why do why is it you want to go somewhere? Why don't you stay home? I'm I'm saying, you know what? Go ask the bartenders. If they want you to stay home, you know, I think that they they would rather me come in and spend some money so that they can feed their own families. And, and yes, uh, journalists and people in our field, we can order Blue Apron, we can have food delivered to us, we can stay inside. Um, but that's that's not, one, the way I want to live. And two, it's not the way other people are hoping we choose to live because they need us out there. They need people coming into their establishment. And, you know, when you have the Biden administration, um, Democrat governors and mayors saying, well, we can do this. We we can make things work. We just have to reduce your capacity by fifty percent. That shows again that they have no idea how a business how a business is run, how it survives. They count on packing the joint every single day and night. That's how you run a bar. That's how you run a restaurant. You can't you can't just suddenly say, "Well, I'm still going to stay open, but only at fifty percent." I mean, that just doesn't work that way. And again, it just it, 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 it exposes the ignorance of Democrats and liberals in the media over and over again.
3: You know, people talk about bias, and they think about bias in terms of politics, political bias. Or sometimes you'll hear about a geographic bias, that the media is essentially run out of Washington, D.C. and New York City. So they think about things in terms of how it affects those two cities. There's also a how-you-make-your-money bias. And if you make your money by working from home or the ability to work from home, you just can't see the world any other way.
5: Oh, right. I mean, and this has uh, has shown that uh, in a big way. I mean, I still it's voluntary, but I choose to go to my office um, because it just I, I work better that way. So many people say, oh, I don't I don't need to do that. I can work from home. And that's great for them. Um, but not everyone can do that. Not everyone has that option. Uh, p- that first and foremost, restaurants and bars. But, you know, it's not just the people that are at these restaurants and bars. It's the whole chain of supply that goes to them. That's, that goes to farmers, that goes to manufacturers, that goes to distributors. This is not just, you know, bars and restaurants. There's a whole, I think I, I read it, I think it was in Forbes, that this is about 25% of the economy or something. So it's a very large number of jobs. Um, I thought there's a lot of money there and to see it all go up and smoke because people think they're doing the right thing by staying home and being told to stay home and, um, or, or reduce the capacity of your establishment by 50%. Uh, we're, we're living in a fantasy world. if We think that's sustainable.
3: You know, it's also a mental health thing after you had a tough day at the office or a tough week or a tough month or a tough quarter or whatever. Being able to go to a movie and just let your mind relax for two hours is healthy. Being able to go to a bar and and have the bartender pour you a stiff one and just relax and exhale for a minute, that's healthy. People have no outlet now to just blow off steam, and I think that that's really causing people to go to dark places with their mental health.
5: 100%. There was a a story on CNN, I believe, two days ago where they were talking to this former QAnon woman, because that's all they want to talk about these days is QAnon. Um, and yeah, the, the, the purpose was to say, uh, th- this is how this woman got radicalized, and it was Trump's fault. Well, you watch the actual segment and the woman ends up saying, I lost my job during the pandemic. I've been stuck inside my house because we couldn't go. We, we were told we couldn't go anywhere. I have my daughter. I took a lot of my frustration out on her. And all I could do all day was look at Facebook and TikTok and Twitter, I guess. And, and she said, this is how I came across this stuff. I, I started losing touch with reality because, again, lost her job and was stuck inside all day. That, <laughs> you want to talk about people who are creating QAnon and these lockdowns?
3: Eddie Scary, columnist at the Washington Examiner. Also author of the book, Privileged Victims, How America's Culture Fascists Hijacked the Country and Elevated Its Worst People, available online at Amazon.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, John. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up in moments. Don't go anywhere.
0: getty
3: show it's john phillips on loan from talk radio 790 KABC in los angeles in for armstrong and getty now positive sean the super bowl is this weekend and uh, throughout the day i'm going to pepper you with with quiz questions about the super bowl because that's top of mind for so many people as Excellent. we head into the weekend and i've got a a quiz question for you right now. Are you ready? I am prepared. Okay. The Super Bowl halftime performance this year will be performed by the weekend. Not to be confi- Not to be confused with the weekdays. That, I think, was a group in the 50s with bouffant hair. How much is the weekend getting paid to perform
4: at halftime? Uh, let's see. Um. I feel like there's at least two commas. I'll say
3: one and a half million. One and a half million for one performance at one football game is your answer, correct?
4: Uh, Yes, that is my guess. Lock it in. The weekend is getting paid absolutely nothing.
1: Hmm.
3: According to NFL spokesperson Joanna Hunter, she told Forbes magazine, quote, We do not pay the artists, we cover expenses and production costs, end quote. That doesn't just apply to the weekend, that's what they did with J-Lo, Shakira, Maroon 5, and any other halftime show at an NFL Super Bowl. They say the exposure is payment enough, and if you're J-Lo, the exposure is of course for your fanny. That actually kind of surprised me.
4: I thought there'd be a little something-something in it for all of these acts, but nope. I knew they didn't used to pay it, but I thought with the you know kind of exposure not being the thing anymore, I I figured they may have to start paying people. Nope, not even an EDD card.
3: (laughs) They're getting nothing. All right, that's going to do it for this hour. It's John Phillips on loan from Talk Radio 790K ABC in Los Angeles in for Armstrong and Getty. We've got more coming up. Don't go anywhere.